All right. Welcome back to Mentorship Moments. Each one, teach one. With your boy CJ. It's so good to be back. Hey, listen. Uh, every now and then I have to do this from a different space. You know, I, I used to talk about police community relations and how we can educate each other, but it was from a very negative space. You know, Now that we're coming out of this uh, social uh, unrest and everything seems to be, I guess, I wouldn't want to say healing yet, but I think the emotions are calmed down. I think it's time to have a discussion to show where I believe, and I brought a friend, law enforcement is going. So this is about police and community. Where do we go from here? And guess what? I got my LinkedIn fam, you know, uh, a bunch of, a whole bunch of police officers that are listening right now. And I've got my community that are listening right now. This is the perfect chance to talk. So we're going to put out a number. I can't wait. So where do we go from here? Is it time to talk yet? Well, guess what? I brought the backup. Mentorship moments, each one, teach one. Let's go. Sometimes you just got to make it happen. guys welcome back to mentorship moments each one teach one now you know this is a wellness show now this is a this is this is a wellness show that deals with community this is a wellness show that deals with health but and this is also a wellness uh, show that deals with issues because i want to heal the community now i had a, this guest on my show that rocked it okay his name is professor tom datro and there's no need for a long introduction and i'll give you his bio in a second now before we get started on, on uh, community policing and, uh, and, and how we go from here, let's talk about one of my favorite partners that's been helping me keeping, uh, keep this show going. And her name is Yulitas Carter of Mutual Realty Consultants. It's a five-star uh, company. You need When you need to uh, certify probate and uh, trust real estate specialist, she's the one to call. Remember, it's a five-star experience. You lead us, Carter. Now, her number is 213. Look at that beautiful photo. 804-3369. Hey, definitely want to hook up with Sally. She is the bomb.com. Now, we're going to move forward. We're going to get right into the subject matter because this guy and I together can talk for two hours. Now, this is part two, and I don't want to go into part four or five, so we're going to get right into this. Without further ado... Shouts out to some fathers that I didn't mention last time on the last show. Uh, Greg Allen, uh, Happy Father's Day. Mr. Michael Bates, hey, I'm representing I Got You. Urban Show, I Got You. Happy Father's Day. God bless you all. All the daddies out there, Happy Father's Day. You should have, you missed it. We had a great Father's Day episode uh, uh, last week. All right, now it's time to get down to business. It's time to get down to our community policing and how we fix this stuff from a positive, positive space, not so much from a negative space, okay? My guest today is the professor, Professor Tom Datro, okay? He is the professor of a police science and leadership. He has a bachelor's in criminal justice. He has a master's in public administration. And I don't know if he's finished. He's just close or either finishing this year his doctorate from USC. He is the OIC, the officer in charge, as we say, 
of police science and leadership, and he's done an excellent job. And he's also, like me, a use of force expert. Man, this guy can go anywhere. Now, most importantly, he had a podcast uh, that you definitely guys have to check out called a Policing in America, where we've I've crossed guests with him, and we've talked about many issues. I'm so glad to have him on the show. This is going to be a rapid-fire discussion of where I think, and the both of us were talking, need to go. And for my fam, can you put the number up on the screen, uh, uh, Poetis? Uh, if you want to call in and have this discussion, this is the time to do it. This is open forum for law enforcement and the community right here on this show, the bridge right here. You know, I don't want to steal the term building bridges because that's another friend of mine's. But if you want to call in, uh, the number to call, you know, you can holler, holler that number out if you want, Poetis. Uh, it, 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 oh, that's all right, that's all right. It's, it, it, it's 213-815. Is she going to make it bigger? Oh, there you go, because I mean, you know I wear glasses. It's 323-815-4204. That number, if you want to call in again, if something pings in your heart, if you're a law enforcement and you want to be a part of this, if something pings in your heart and you're a community member, you want to call in on this number, 323 815 4204. Now, I don't like ugly, and God don't like ugly. I'm not here to argue today. I'm here for solutions. You know, I may say something you may not agree with, but it's all coming from a place of love, from a different perspective, okay? We're going to learn from each other today. All right, so without further ado, bring this clean-shaven, beautiful, white chocolate man in. Bring him in. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Thomas Dacher. What's, what's going on, man? Uh, How you doing? I'm doing great, Cleo. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. How was my brief, my brief like intro to you? Was that good? Was that good, bro? Because the last it was, one was long. It was perfect. It was perfect. I did end up finishing the doctorate this year, so. Oh, Thank man. goodness that's done. Congratulations. You know, we're going to give you a standing ovation in the studio. We have two cats, <laughs> POTUS and me, two meows and a hand clap. We got it going on, man. You <laughs> yeah, are the man, you. man. I'm super duper proud of you, man. Now, listen, I want to get right into this because we, we talked about a few subjects. And, you know, the last time we talked about your background and your origins, uh, we talked about community policing and we touched upon uh, items like procedural justice, which we'll touch on again. And then you brought me on your show and we... We kept talking and talking, and we wanted to get to what change looks like from the bottom up, from mm -hmm. training. Now, many law there are law enforcement officers or they're listening like that right now that run academies and this that, and the other. Uh, we, where we work in the Los Angeles area, have uh, I guess we can call this progressive in change as to how we're training our recruits. There's an evolution. There's a uh, going on right now, a slow one, but definitely an evolution. So. Let's just get right into rapid fire, okay? I want to talk about the future of law enforcement, and this segment will be called the Police Academy, quasi-military or college campus. When I say that, how does that ping on you, Tom, from your experience? Well, I'll tell you what, Clee, I understand the concepts behind a quasi-paramilitary, but like all things, uh, evolution is inevitable. And with what the expectations of the community are and with where crime is at a, at a historical perspective, I know we're seeing a bump these last two years and there's many variables that come into that. But from the perspective of what the community wants from us, I feel it's time to start transitioning away from this paramilitary style academy. I think that the citizens have spoken loud and clear. And uh, in, in that is they want to, a police force that not just looks like them wow. uh, diversity wise, but, uh, but that acts like them. 
right. you know, we're still, we're still using our last names <laughs> on, on our shirts, you know, because somehow that's, I don't know, tactically better than my first name. I don't know. Like none of it makes sense to me. Well, you know, I'm glad you said that. You said something that really just pinged on me, what the community wants. I mean, ideally on the side of our car, you know, that's what we say, you know, how has it been now? I've got 25 years on. How much time do you have on Tom? I'm at just under 19. Just under 19. So there were generational changes from when I went on and when you went on. When I came on, I, w I came on as a part of the tolerance generation. That was the big buzzword. You know, we, we need to tolerate people we, do, we don't know. But mm -hmm. it was always about, no matter what the change was generationally, it still was about how we're going to change ourselves for ourselves and then let the community deal with it. Mm -hmm. You coming in, your generation, did you still feel the same way going through your academy experience? And we can talk about that as we continue. The, the academy was a blur. And it's because you're trying to get so much information down the proverbial throats of, of a bunch of individuals who are coming at this from a wide variety of backgrounds. I had classmates who this was their first job. They still lived at home. I traveled from Chicago you know, to be here. And I was a professor at university, adjunct professor at university before I started. So you have this wide spectrum. There was a U.S. attorney who was in our class, um, you know, and then like a stay-at-home mom that wanted to do something different. So when you have this diverse group of people and you're trying to give them all this data on the law, all these policies, procedures, and, and a very strict way of doing things, I guess I understand the paramilitary from an organizational sharing like, how are we going to share this knowledge? How are we going to transfer knowledge? It makes sense. But you even see now the academy, even though it's paramilitary, we have them in small groups and small tables. It's more of an adult learning concepts. So it, it wasn't, it was as though we didn't even have time to really focus on the human element. Right. It was just, these are the penal codes. These are the policies. Don't break the law. Don't break the policies. Right. Now, I need you people to explain the difference between military and quasi-military. Let's make that perfectly clear so when we go where we're going, we get where we got to get to. I agree. I agree. So, hey, Clean, just so I understand the question, the idea behind what are the Mil difference between, say, military and paramilitary? And, and I'm thinking in levels because when I think of military, I think of high end, you know, HUP 1, HUP 2, gun, soldier, we're going to war, that's it, you follow all. And then param seems to be one level lower where there's some leeway, but at the same time, internally, there's still that structure of, you know, yeah. you do what you're told no matter what. Yeah, there is. It, it, I think the paramilitary for policing really falls heavily on the rank structure. And there's no time for that personal opinion. It's, it's I'm a sergeant, I'm a lieutenant, I'm a captain. And what I say goes and it sort of follows down. Uh, but the two have very different missions. The military mission is, in fact, you know, preparation for and response to war. And that's the military, right? That, that is that couldn't be further from us. So I think we should adopt a different style and even a different terminology than, than paramilitary because we have absolutely nothing to do with war. So I agree with you, but let's talk about on what that style should look like. Mm -hmm. uh, we get, um, I think, I feel like I'm being somewhat of a change agent of that, but I feel nobody's going to come to in my face and straight up saying, CJ, you're wrong. Uh, you're mm -hmm. trying to turn everybody into to pansies. Uh, this is not a college campus. You know, I, they feel like it's going that way. I feel like they're always in the foundational phase of any academy. There always needs to be structure initially because you got to know the rules, mm -hmm. right? But For sure. When do we take the gas off a little bit 
like we talked about in the last episode and in policing in America and let, allow them to be human. What does that look like you as a professor, you know, and, and we agree on a lot of these things. What does that look like for you? So think of it from this perspective. You can have the structure, you can have the, the skeleton, if you will, to hold up the building. I need, I need beams and, and support beams and walls and ceilings, but just because it's a building, every building can be something different. You can have a concert hall or you could have a classroom or it could be a storage facility. So I think you need the structure of the academy to have that military idea of, um, you know, I'm in charge. And then if you have a complaint or a gripe, this next person's in charge. It's a very effective way to move information back and forth. But just like a building can house an educational facility, there's grammar schools, middle schools, high schools, colleges. At a college, you get a lot more leeway with how you learn. Right. And it feels like it, it, when we constrain everything for the paramilitary academy, we, we, we bring people in because of their unique diverse backgrounds and they're going to be a good officer but then we strip them of that and say no you are part of this machine and i think we need to start getting away from that and say we hired you for who you are but then you get to the academy and it's almost like nope you are not that person anymore you are just so and so from class number and and we need to let people be themselves a little bit i, I mean i like how you said that now here's me i i, I claim i never drank the kool-aid but there was a time when I transitioned from civilian to academy recruit. It took me about two years to shake off the robot. I mean, I yes. was a robot. I, I would walk around and say, yes, sir, yes, yes ma'am, to everybody. I would say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, to my, some of my best friends. And I felt a, a detachment because for about a good six months, you know, I'm following these rules. And, you know, here's a, a very college kid, influential I felt like I was honed in and I wasn't my, I didn't feel like myself for a couple of years. Did you mm -hmm. feel the same way? Cause I came on in 96 and you came on maybe close to the two thousands. Did you feel the same way coming out of the Academy? Let's personalize it. Absolutely. I, I remember day one, I'm standing in the parking lot and we're, we're, we're learning how to line up and somebody starts yelling at me. One of the DIs because my watch is not, professional. And, and he's yelling. And I look at it and I think, Hey man, this is a Timex Iron Man watch. This is a great watch. It sets my alarm. It, it, you know, it has my heart rate on it. It has the date and the time, like, you know, it was a high end watch 20 years ago, but it was not professional, you know? And so this is the problem in this silo of thinking. You start to define what professional is only from your past experiences. Mm. And it, it, it's it, the watch is a functional tool. It's going to tell me the date. It's going to tell me the time. It's going to tell me a few basic necessities and to, to start yelling at you. Like it's not professional. Sure. It changed my whole mentality. I started calling everybody, sir and ma'am. And I learned very quickly that women don't like to be called ma'am and, and it, it's, <laughs> it's miss, right? Can I call somebody ma'am? And that's like, it, it implies age, certain age. So I was calling everybody ma'am and I was getting corrected nonstop which goes to show me the antiquity of some of this training. We should start calling. And nowadays with, with gender fluidity and not making assumptions, Big time. Who, who am I to call somebody sir or ma'am? That is an, that is a excellent, that, that is an excellent point. Now, um, especially with our uh, LBGTQ communities, Correct. Uh, people seem to want to be identified right or wrong. I, I don't have time to discuss that. You know, if we're law enforcement for all, we have to be prepped for all. Now, how do you, what do you feel about this argument when you, we get resistance to this slow wheel of change? Well, the yelling 
prepares you for what you're going to get out there in the field. Uh, little uh, officer, jo young officer, recruit Joseph. You know, if you can't deal with us yelling in here, how are you going to deal with the old lady yelling at you uh, out in the streets? You're going to pee in your pants. How do you feel about right. that argument? Yeah, well, and of course, now we're going to go back to my fallback, which is the data. Show me the study where you ran an academy where you didn't yell at everybody. And when officers went into the field, they were completely lost and overwhelmed. Right. We, we, we ha we, you can't make the claim and then not run the study to verify the, the claim. It's a theory. The theory is I'm going to inoculate you with stress by yelling at you for minutia. And the problem is you're getting yelled at for making mistakes. You're not getting yelled at because you made an intentional act. You made a mistake. So what is that reinforcing in the subconscious of our officers that when citizens make mistakes, they get yelled at? That's the response. You should know better. And so there's all these cascading consequences that I don't think people truly thought about right. when, when they when they think about stress inoculation. You, you'd have to show me the data and show me where we did this and it and it proved to be the case. I see a lot of officers that go through the same academy that lose their cool in the field. Well, if this worked, I thought we were supposed to be stress inoculated. So maybe it doesn't work as good as we think it does. You know, I. I hear your point there, and to, to your point, and I'm sitting these. We're sending these guys out in the field, and we're pretending like when they get to the academy, we treat them like they're newborn babies, like they have no life experience. There are officers right. coming in 25, 30, sometimes 40 years, and oh, they don't know about de-escalation yet. So we have to break them down and tell them, "Well, wait a minute. Right. Some of these people were bank managers. They were de-escalating with people before they knew there was a turn behind it." They were, if you were a restaurant manager at freaking McDonald's, you know, you were de-escalating. So how do you feel in our, if there was a counter argument to this, doesn't life experience, the fact that you got on the job, you went through a back, thorough background process, you got in, give you some credibility as a recruit coming in? What do you think about that? I think 100% correct. You, we've all lived a life before we came into the academy. And, you know, what, if somebody was a customer service agent at an airline, uh, their ability to de-escalate is going to be phenomenal because nobody goes to the customer service desk at the airline because things are going so well. It's usually because something's wrong or they're getting overcharged or they missed their flight and they have to deal with this. So I, I think a lot of people come to this with more skills than we give them credit for because de-escalation looks like different things to different people. Correct. There are certain people that are good with words. I think you, myself, you, you know, you, your brother, we're very good and we could take a lot. We, we'll, we'll let somebody vent to us without taking it personal because sometimes we know people need to get that poison out of them. And some people don't like that. They look at that as a challenge. With that so, said, with that said, yeah. I'm going to tell a Tom story. Now, I heard about this and you can verify this is true. OK, um, a couple of weeks ago, there was one of these. Um, Internet trolls, uh, I guess they call them like First Amendment types, where they run up in the police stations and just run all over the place and film. In this case, you were being a professor at an academy, and they ran. Is this true? They ran in with their cameras and ran all over the academy. Is this true, Tom? Is this true? It's very true. They they made their way onto um, one of our one of our campuses, which I didn't recognize this. I didn't know this. It's open to the public except for closed doors and, and certain facilities. But in general, it's called, um, you know, such and such park because it is a park. People yep. have access to this area. Yep. Now, the thing is, now you, now how it's been handled before when they record and put these stations on YouTube, 
you see the resistance. You can't come up here. Officers are flexed up and and you mm-hmm. empathize with what they're doing. Hey, get out of here. You don't belong here. You can't film here. What I heard was what I heard was, Tom, you broke them down verbally. You talked to them. Hmm. You understood where they were coming from. You actually understood their rights. Mm-hmm. And I heard you de-escalate it. You calmed it down better than sending 20 officers down the way to get them out. Can you can you talk about it? You were there. I heard about yeah, it. Yeah. Well, thank you for asking, Clee. And yes, and actually, I'm in touch with the gentleman. And uh, we're about to do a show together on, on one of his YouTube channels. He was very surprised that I was so amicable. Because if you see the video, and it's out there on the YouTube, he tries. He tries to push my buttons. But I don't, I don't buy into it. And I just keep engaging with them. And I keep talking to him. And I mean, he has a right to do this. That's that's the bottom line. And so I don't mind the conversation. I don't mind the challenging questions. I don't mind when somebody says, well, we pay your salary. You know, okay, well, let's talk about that. I, I pay taxes. So am I also, do I work for myself then? Am I an entrepreneur in that regard? You know, like, let's talk about this. Let's have a conversation about what you think that means. And so it, when you... Once he realized that I was not going to yell, I was not going to try to flex or tell him you can't be here, that I was honestly involved in conversation, he, he, his demeanor changed. Wow. His demeanor changed. He seems like he responds to the input he was getting. I mean, he gave me his card. He, he, he shook my hand on camera. Uh, and, and it was interesting. Unfortunately, there were some people there that I was not involved in. There was another area going on. And one of those individuals put out a backup. And you know what happens when you put out a backup, especially in one of our little houses. They're coming. You know, this is, they're coming. <laughs> they're coming from three different areas. And the airship is not too far. So it's overhead in a 300-foot orbit. And I remember he, he turned the camera off. He looked at me and he said, you were doing fine, but your boys messed up. Yes. And that was it. And then he got all the footage he needed and his video went viral. I, I want to uh, let you know that that same group came to the Academy a month prior to me. You know, and and dealt with them similar. It was more like, you know, just common. I I think that one of the gentlemen kept failing the temperature check. So I guess he didn't want to film Uh, that. But it it ended up the same way. Now, I didn't break it down like you quite did. But I didn't use the old traditional get out of my, you know, it was like, hey, let me hear you out. You know, here's my information. If you want to file a complaint, whatever you do. And you know what? That worked for me. I'm not as eloquent as you, but it worked out for me. I didn't use the old tradition. And speaking of tradition, do you think when it comes to our police academy training and when these changes come and resistance, is it a fight for tradition or is this just a fight over nothing? What is it? This is, this is a great question, Clint. And I've wrestled with this over the last few weeks, this idea of tradition and, and tradition is fine, but we can't cling to tradition solely for the sake of tradition. If we did, we'd still have uh, revolvers, right? So, so obviously tradition matters, but there's also a time when tradition's going to evolve. Wow. Uh, we, we had call boxes. We don't have call boxes anymore. So, but that's traditional. We, we fall back on tradition, and I've thought about this deeply. Hanging on to tradition ensures that we don't have to critically think about how to innovate, Whoa. and we don't have to admit that maybe we're doing things wrong. Oh my, I would almost ask you to repeat that because that just pinged on me. You verbally expressed that. And I mean, and that's why I think we're so like-minded. Um, so where do we, so as far as the Academy, before we move on, how do you see this moving forward? What changes do we have to make that it's like spoon feeding people to slowly get them to where we need to be? What does an Academy have to look like as we're mentoring and training these young recruits? I think we need to be 
truly innovative. And, and you know, when, when Elon Musk uh, was trying to put rockets and have them fly from outer space and land, he wasn't looking to all the barriers of why it wouldn't work. He wanted to his engineers to tell me why it will work. And, and this is what happened when he was trying to mass produce electric cars. You know, this is what you don't see. You don't see companies, high performing companies worried about tradition. You don't see high performing medical facilities worried about tradition. Instead, they're inventing and refining the Da Vinci laser robot that's going to do surgeries. And they're not saying, well, no, 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 we always did surgeries this way. So we have to let go of tradition, embrace innovation. I'd like to see an academy. And again, I'm just thinking big. I'd like to see an academy with more citizen input. We need to have a conversation with the citizens and the citizens need to figure out what it is they want from their police department. So this way, when things go awry, because you're going to have instances that go awry, the citizens can say, well, look, this is what we want. This is what we expect. And you can't just arbitrarily move the goalposts when things go bad to say, well, this isn't what we wanted. I need your input. I want your input during training. I want your input to keep things fresh. And as societies evolve, I think the police department has to evolve with them. So we need more societal input, not our own little silo. Right. I believe we've tested those waters recently, mm. but we, I got, I, I, we was successful. You know, I can't even mention the um, organization yet because I'm, I'm held to secretly until this young lady finishes her report. Mm -hmm. But when it was done, there was a discussion about having more community meetings, having more. And then the leadership answer was perceived was, okay, that's cool. But if we do this, then we have to open up the floodgates, you know? And my mm -hmm. in, in my head, I'm like, open up the floodgates. Roger that. <laughs> I, yep. I, I think you said it right. The community has to get involved that they can chime in and see directly. All of our, uh, all of our policies and techniques and stuff are mandated online now. Everybody can Absolutely. see them now. So there's no big secret. A karate chop is a karate. If a karate chop is a karate chop, you can see it online now. Okay. There's no difference. That's right. So yep. with that said, toss in speaking of tradition, I want to jump to when you say, when I say, I'm going to say this old guard versus new guard. What does that mean to you? And let's talk about the issue when it comes to leadership as respectful as we possibly can. So yeah. It is th this particular field, and I've worked in the private sector, I've worked in academia, and I'm currently in the public sector. There has never been more emphasis on something called time on than there is in, in this public sector, it, it, apparently even with policing. Mm -hmm. Just having so many hash marks, we, we value it so much. We want everybody to see how much time on we have because there's value to that. Now, here's the difference. Just because there's value doesn't mean there's utility. There's value. People value it. But how much of a utility is it to have somebody with all that time on? I think it tends to be a little bit more of an anchor than, than a springboard because people get tied to the old way of doing it because it worked for them. Right. Now, I don't I don't fault them for that because you're going to do what's successful. Right. You're going to do what worked for you. However, times have changed. So we have leadership and that I'm without getting to, like you said, we're going to be very, very respectful of everything. We have leadership that hasn't been in patrol having to turn on a camera, ha have to deal with the, those experiencing a homeless crisis, those experiencing a mental health crisis to the level that we do Today, I was out there a few weeks ago, and there was literally a, a person who appeared to be experiencing homelessness chasing a sanitation worker with a big stick, and he was yelling for help. I had to stop the car. I had to figure out where I was. 
I had to broadcast it, jump out of the car, get the seatbelt off, turn the camera on, and then start de-escalating the situation. It was a lot to do. Right. It was a lot to do. And I just thought, man, before I can even go help that person, I got about five things that I got to get downrange or else I could, you know, be, get in trouble, if you will. Because everything in this, everything in policing seems to be punitive. It's like you make a mistake, punitive. Comment card, notice to correct, days off. Nothing is ever, hey, this is a teachable moment. Let's learn from this. Let's, how can we make this better? Everything seems to be about punitive measures. And I don't find that to be a high-performing organization because that's management and leadership through fear. Wow. Do you think some of our leaders, I mean, they go to all the schools, but they've been in so long. Do you think that, and this goes on with all most ages, do you think they can't help themselves because of, is it going to take a, a washing out of their tenure to, to move on before the news sets in? Before you answer that question, we're going to go on a quick commercial break and we'll go into part two of this segment, Tom. So I want you to think on it because, you know, we're, sure. we're, both, we're both trying to be respectful because we do love our commands, but sure. it's time to grow and listen to people that are in the in the trenches so yes. when we come back uh, from this commercial break navigating through the valleys of success check it out we'll be back with part two <clears throat> i tried to be secular about this book but i can't something's working within me dj was already an incredible person and then he wrote a book i turned to god as a person that stopped believing so you will meet me there, and if not, you will see the works that helped me get there. If you want to know how to change and learn how to change from the inside out, you read this book. Money is a real thing. It's a part of it. But what I show in the book, and I'm, I'm telling my young people out there, I'm walking you through business. This is a real business lecture 101. It's not the green that's going to keep you sustained. It's your influence. It's your in. How well do you impart influence and love in people? How do I make you rich by a conversation we've had? It's gonna help you no matter what situation, no matter what trials or tribulations you're going through. It's gonna give you that ammo that you need. Watch God grow inside of me. Watch him show me why this went wrong to get to right. To him to say, you know what, God? I needed the tragedy too. I needed to feel lost. I needed to feel grief. I needed to feel let down. And thank God you've got me where I'm at in my marriage, with my kids, with my family, so I can see the blessings and I can tell somebody else how all those things I went through in the past got me where I'm in today. You can get through anything if you just keep the faith and walk through that valley and don't give up. Don't turn back, don't look back, just keep looking forward. And the goal is right there. You just have to keep pushing forward. Keep your brains in your head, keep your heart in your chest, and keep your pee-pee in your pants. And that's it. That's great advice. <laughs> this will stay in your hearts for the rest of your life. And it will conquer the demons that lie in your mind. <laughs> All right. Welcome back. Yep. Here's the book. This is the Brookstone version. This is the indie version. You can get it uh, from my website, www.cjffla.com. Speaking of which, if you like the content that's happening in the show, uh, you can hit us up on uh, two ways. You can hit us up on Cash App at dollar sign CJ Functional or at Venmo 
at CJ Functional. All right, we're going to continue. There it is, Cash App, dollar sign CJ Functional. Look, any any little thing helps. Uh, big sponsors, leadership. So we, hey, I love it. Venmo at CJ Functional. Hey, if you like what we're talking about and you want to keep this going, hey, hook your brother up. All right, all right. We're continuing the conversation on part two: old guard versus new guard. You said you talked about. Let's talk about you as a as a supervisor, as a frontline manager. And you talked about you know comment cards feeling. I never saw a, a comment card that did that was not positive. That felt like, oh, thank you for this negative comment card, and felt like doing right. police work the next day. Man, please explain is how we make this better as what I consider you as a new guard. So I take this approach that I think is very hard to take from my experiences with our current regime. And when I say command, you know, top to bottom, it, it is not looked at um, favorably to not have an answer. Like for some reason, you can never just say, oh, I didn't know that. There, there's a robbery that took place at four in the morning. Nobody was hurt. And, and you have to call the captain at four in the morning when, when he or she is still sleeping. Wake them up just in case somebody at 6 a.m. calls them and asks about the robbery. Like as if for some reason it's bad to say, oh, you know what? I haven't been briefed yet. I'll find out like better to disturb their sleep. So they're cognitively impaired the rest of the day. It makes no sense. So this is the old guard mentality. I prefer embracing the fact that there's things I might not know and that I may be wrong. Our current leadership can't accept that. That's it. I wrote something down for this. Uh, and, and it's like, it's, it's, this is my little quote I'm working on. We don't know what we don't know. Therefore, it's better to assume ignorance and listen than assume knowledge and preach. Wow. I feel like we're getting preached to a lot by people who have learned about policing in a silo. You know, Baltimore is doing really innovative things. So is Milwaukee. It, you know, it may be in the 50s. LAPD was the only game in town. But there are some small agencies that are doing some really neat stuff. Yes. Let's not discount them. Let's not operate with such hubris that we think we're the best. We can learn from other people. And you don't know what you don't know. So it helps to listen sometimes. Well, how do you feel about this? Uh, and you're of this generation and so am I. It doesn't matter what rank you are. If something happens that was out of your span and you weren't there, the, the common answer was, well, you should have known. Yeah. You, you, you should have you had the foresight. Or the other one, the current one that seems modern but is so archaic to me is the five mm -hmm. whys. Oh, well, why did the recruit leave the door open? Well, why do you think he did that, Sergeant Joseph? I don't know. Right. Well, why don't you know? I freaking yeah. don't know. <laughs> you yeah. know. What do you think about that? That's still prevalent. I mean, it's gotten a lot better, but it seems like it's, there's this drive to squeeze an answer out of you. And it almost and when you come in, you almost feel like you have to lie just to get off my back, man. I yeah. just don't know. Let's help this kid as opposed to all the five whys and stuff like that. What do you think about that? Yeah, this is, the, you can see the contradiction. If you just hit pause, step back, and then hit play, you see the contradiction. In the academy, you're told, don't explain why, just say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, won't happen again, right? right? So at, at your infancy, you're told, there is no excuse, I don't know this, it won't happen again, and that's acceptable. And then as you go, you're told, well, no, no, you have to have an answer for everything. And then you try to explain something and they're like, well, that's not good enough. And then they go into these five, you know, the five whys or some other, you know, leadership 
book where they got this idea of the, you know, the, the five dysfunctions of a team by Lencioni or the starling seven habits of, uh, or what is it? Steve Covey, seven habits of highly effective people. Yeah. yeah somebody reads something and they want to all of a sudden infuse it in. But what we need to do is remember this. We have a mission. Okay. Mission first people always. Yes. Yeah. Right. We have a mission, but let's not forget that that mission never gets done without caring for the people. You're right. I had a similar uh, incident where, you know, while, while back ago where, you know, I'm, I'm providing, I call it, a, I call it instead of a counseling session, I call it a mentorship session mm-hmm. uh, where they recruit and a, and I, and, and thinking we're a team, I brought a DI along with me and, you know, yeah, in, in the DI's mind, it was the, the apocalyptic, oh, it was the end of the world. You know, Hey, the, I, the, the t-shirt was outside of the shorts and it was like, and I'm like, Hey, right. you know, and I was trying to explain, Hey, listen, I understand, but the, these are the rules. We just want you to follow the policy. Hey, it's just make sure you're, this happened about three times. Just make sure the shirt is tucked and we're good to go. Yeah. But, but the DI and, and the, and the, uh, the kid was questioning me, you know, it was kind of like, well, sir, you know, how do I control it? And I was like, Hey, look in the, in our rule book, it says be accountable. You know, I, I'm not trying to get you to say yeah. yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. To everything, but I need you to correct man. DI was like, ah, I mean, she went completely berserk. As if, right. like, I'm doing something wrong here. I'm like, wait a minute. She didn't, this person didn't shoot somebody. This person right. didn't sexually harass somebody. Right. All we're dealing with is maybe a hair tie or a bun. All we're dealing yes. with is maybe a primal response that she hadn't been trained in the proper techniques. Yes. But, and then, then the DI said this to me. If Sergeant such and such was here, she'd tell the recruit to shut the F up. So instead of me getting mad and jumping down the, that particular DI's throat, because, you know, I'm friends with the person, I looked mm-hmm. at him and I said, so we tell this person to shut the F up. And the person says, yes, sir, and shuts the F up. Mm-hmm. Did we correct a problem if there was a problem? If this is how we're going to handle real problems. So mm-hmm. this person, let's say it is a problem, and we tell them to shut the F up. Yes, sir. No, sir. And I'll move on with my life. And they go out into a field that we didn't address the problem. Sometimes you have to open up and ask questions to draw out the issue so you can mentor. Do you agree with that process? Oh, Clea, absolutely. This is de-escalation training starts in the academy. So when you're trying to de-escalate somebody, and let me draw two very uh, far ends of the spectrum. Somebody's shirt keeps getting untucked. Somebody has a knife. Okay. You can learn to communicate with somebody to get them to drop the knife when you first listen. What is the old saying? Seek first to understand. Okay. Maybe there's something happening with this shirt. Maybe the shirt is malfunctioning. Maybe it got stretched out. Maybe there's something that's easy to solve. Maybe the person's body is just one of these bodies that has a different torso length to the leg length. And no matter what you do, the shirt's going to come out. But seek first to understand, not just ram it down. And secondly, it has to make sense. It, it just has to make sense. I've seen this before too, when DIs will yell because you're a quarter of an inch off center in the desk when you speak to them. And I think this, we, we are focusing on the wrong things. I'm trying to teach a young adult how to communicate effectively, how to convince somebody to reduce the intensity of the encounter, de-escalation. And this is how we reduce the intensity of the encounter by yelling at people and not encouraging feedback and discourse. It, and, and I think that's the problem. We go back to training, paramilitary tradition. We, it's almost like the forest has to burn down and these other saplings and trees need to grow because the young kids, 
they're, they just want to know why. Just explain to me so I could understand it. And if you teach them why, they're more likely to remember it. And isn't that the goal anyway? You know, what I'm finding this new generation, millennial generation Z, they don't care about your yelling. I mean, they do no. what they got to do, to do to get through it. But they, they, and also they don't care about reward. What uh, they care about is like self-fulfillment and the why. Do you agree with mm -hmm. that? I do. And, and, and I understand it. it. It's just if you have a purpose, you know, I think Daniel Pink talks about autonomy, mastery and purpose. These are the way you motivate people. You allow them to accomplish a task in the best way they can. That's autonomy. Mastery, you give them all the skills to make them the best they can at it. And then purpose, you give them a reason why this task is important. And Daniel Pink has written books on this. He's got TED Talks on this, autonomy, mastery, purpose. I don't know why we don't embrace these ideas because that's the human condition. We're trying to train human beings to interact with other human beings in potentially very volatile situations. And we're asking, expecting them to bring down that intensity. Let's start teaching them how to do it day one in the academy. I've always ran by this mantra. If I have to get it done yelling or throwing a punch, I have to have a self debrief, whether I was right or wrong. If I had to come out of myself to get the problem solved, somewhere I went, I wouldn't say wrong, but I need to debrief how to redo that to stay calm. Because once I go off, it's a whole nother world, if you understand what mm -hmm. I'm saying. So I believe, I believe in the firm, fair, coach, mentor, and guide. And, I, and this is not a buzzword for promotion. I embody that. I said that in my oral interview, and I want to express that when we train and mentor and get not only just our recruits, our young young officers to grow, because I think that's the way to go. They've already lived a life before they got on. They went through the background process. Now, right. give them a month of structure, and then I want to bring the best out of you. The small stuff, we can, we can discuss. The big stuff, guess what? Oh, yeah. It's a job, right? We document it with comment cards. We even terminate if we have to. So why do we, if we have the power to yell, why don't we reserve it? Because we also have the power to fire. It's they're at will employees, correct? Absolutely. And, and we should use these various communication techniques judiciously right. because it's very hard to keep yourself in control when you start yelling. I mean, just, just try to scream the pledge of allegiance, you know, with, with veracity and, and, and yell it, your blood pressure will go up. Your heart rate will go up, right? You're a fitness professional there in order for you to keep that heart rate down, because I want to keep that prefrontal cortex in my brain operating. Well, I don't want to go to the reptilian part of the brain. I don't want to get the emotional hijack. The, uh, I want to have that executive hijack. function nice and clear. I want to keep myself nice and lined up and remember what the mission is. The mission is, you know, get the kid's shirt untucked or we have that person drop the knife. And I always think like this, Clan. I think there's because there's always exceptions. There's always outliers. If you and I can't de-escalate someone, that person was not going to be able to be de-escalated yeah. for whatever the reason is, whether it's intoxication or mental illness. Like, I just know you and I and our skill set. If we can't do it, it can't be done. Exactly, exactly. Speaking of amygdala hijack, hmm. the training, let's talk about the physical training. You know, there's been this major push by yours truly also mm -hmm. to bring uh, uh, jujitsu. And, you know, there's been like competing brands trying to get, you know, to, to vie for this spot to get this. So I can't really like jump on one or the other to bring in to train recruits uh, in Brazilian jujitsu. But not only 
branch it out to law enforcement officers out in the field. Now, I read a report in Minneapolis where somebody proposed that uh, officers should only be hired if they're blue belts in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Now, listen, huh. I believe in Brazilian, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I've been practicing it for years. I know you've practiced it. I know it works. And the reason why I'm able to stay so cool, calm, and collected is that I'm so confident in my abilities. I know what right. it's like to feel pain and be broken. I know what it's like to break people in a training environment. So therefore, I, I have this cool because I know exactly what I, 90% of the time I'm going to be successful. And if I use teamwork, I'm even more successful and it's, going to look, it's not going to look violent. Yeah. So with the concept of uh, let's talk about the community myth that, hey, all these guys need to be blue belts. You know, do, do we have to? I know I want Brazilian jiu-jitsu in, but do, mm -hmm. as far as training, do we have to be blue belts? Yeah, that we both have a mutual friend on this job who's very skilled at both judo and jujitsu. And he he's actually recently given me a very strong case for judo just because it seems like it's the father of jujitsu. And and because with jujitsu, a lot of people train in geese and they're on mats and they're rolling. And and he will make the case like, hey man, that's hard to do on uh on, on uneven ground or in the street or on the curb it can be done sure but you're going to incur potentially some damage your head's awful close to the cement he likes this idea of like tripping and then just you know bring somebody to the ground so there's a case for any of these types of martial arts your jujitsu or your, or your judo but here's the thing who 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 does who's the arbiter of this blue belt is it going to be gracie is it going to be machado how do we figure out Who's going to be the person that does this? And everybody has a different athletic ability. Some people can get the blue belt really quick. Some people can get the blue belt, might take them three years. But you and I both know if you're not continuing to train, it doesn't matter that you were a blue belt. It, it's where you are today. We both know there's a black belt out there that hasn't trained in 20 years yep. that, that you and I could out, outwork on the mat. So just because you get to be a blue belt doesn't mean it's like, well, now you're blessed forever. You have to train that. And as you age, you and I are both elder athletes at this point. But, you know, if, if the Cleon at, at 31 and the Tom at 31 stepped in the room and chased us, we're better off running away <laughs> because <laughs> those, those guys are some bad dudes, right? So, so we might say we don't want to – there's going to be a de degradation of skills as you get older. And but I believe, I don't believe in they all should be blue belts for this reason. And I do have an answer as to where we should go, but I can't say it right now. You know, I just can't. I'm, I think I've told you I'm in the mix of this. You know, I can't say it right now. Sure. You don't have to be a blue belt. Now, the problem is why jujitsu is such a hard sell to command that doesn't understand it is we always show where jujitsu is dominant. We're on top, mm. legs are wrapped up, you know, no punches, no kicks. But they're saying, well, I can't do that. Where right. My argument for jiu-jitsu at white belt level, at a combatives level, is the fact that if a suspect's punching you, you can grab him and hold him to buy yourself time for backup to arrive. Mm -hmm. If I can get just a 50-year-old police officer that hasn't trained to understand how to close the distance and hold and buy time, just at a combative level, basically not even a white belt level, yeah, that jujitsu wins. We've been selling it wrong. And to say, oh, they have to be blue belts. They all have to be purple belts. That's almost as discriminatory as, as the the Cooper scale PFQ. You know, a, a, right. a male 40 can do 20 pushups and get an A and a 20 year old does 20 and fails. You know, right. It's, right. It's all. And plus, I believe the brain is just as powerful as jujitsu. I know some guys that don't train martial arts and have talked all of their lives 
people into jail who I call mentors. So I do believe in bringing that in, you know, and I know you do too. (laughs) Sure. But we should bring it in in a way that shows that officers are safer overall, no matter the belt, just understanding Mm -hmm. the concept. We've been leading the charge with that, Tom. And I wanted to just put that plug out there. And I know a couple of you guys out there are listening. Uh, You know, God bless you guys. I've learned so much in the last couple of years with, you know, uh, with this. So I want to move forward. We we talked about Ogar and, uh, and, and you were talking about how we talk to recruits and you talked, you talked, you said the term listen, but isn't that a concept of procedural justice? Can you run Mm. down what our, uh, what procedural justice is, the components of procedural justice? And if we want to interject that in recruits, they'll be better to affect that in the field. Talk about that, Tom. I think that's huge. It's a good segue. I, I love it, Clee, and this is one of these passions of mine with procedural justice. It, it has this very academic sound to it, but at the end of the day, if I could boil it down to this, it would be it would be two words: perception matters. Okay. And and it, you know we have the we have the constitutionality to do a great number of things. We have the constitutionality to use force. We have the constitutionality to you know use deadly force, and we have the constitutional right to take people and take away their freedom of movement. Like in a democratic republic, in a free society, we can stop you. And as long as it follows the criteria, we can we can stop you. Like that's an incredible amount of authority. So perception matters. And the way to get this perception to be understood is through these four tenets, voice, neutrality, trust, and respect. And, and I try to look at it like this. I want you to trust me whoever this person is, whether it's a colleague, a subordinate, or a citizen, or or someone with a mental health crisis, or even, even a suspect, I, I need you to trust me. I'm going to try to adjudicate this as neutral as possible. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give my voice, and I'm going to give you a voice for this. We're both going to come to this together, and I'm going to be respectful from top to bottom. Right, And, and that's it. We have both had this experience. This is the best way I can explain it, and I've thought about this. I've had people thank me right before we close the cell door on them. Like you're, you're arrested, yes. you're fingerprinted and, and, and you are now going to be in a box and they look at me and they say, Hey, Detro, thank you. And that is, that's a, for me, maybe it sounds cheesy. That's powerful. I've just taken away somebody's freedom. I've just severely impacted their life and they're thanking me. Yep. I don't take that lightly. And that's because I was neutral. I gained their respect. I gave them a voice and I, I built their, their, their trust with me, you know, and, and I find that if officers understand that perception matters, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something just because the constitution says, you know, we can engage in these pretextual stops. Doesn't mean we need to do it ad nauseum. Doesn't mean we need to do it constantly. Yes. And when somebody gets upset with us, the burden is on us to explain to them why this happened and to value their perspective. In fact, to, that should be the first thing. That should, no, like you see, right. That should be the first thing when we say when we engage a traffic stop. I, I always tell officers, either it's a felony, go all the way. It's a felony prone. You know, there's no in between. Either it's a felony, you do what you got to do, or it mm-hmm. is a traffic stop. And when you have a traffic stop, it is your duty to, uh, to tell them your name, who you are, and why you stopped them, and then go from there. That way the game is fair and the game is set. You know, you are detained, now they know why. But if it's the other extreme where it's a felony, hey, use your tactics, do what you have to do. There's no, when we go in between is where we have these tactical errors and these officers running around and it's it's insane. 
Know what you have and act accordingly. The, the traffic stop where you introduce yourself and uh, and tell them why you stopped them, that is guardian, okay? The gladiator yeah. comes out when this guy just robbed a bank, there's a kid in the car, kid about the kid. Now that's where the gladiator comes in and you have to do what you have to do. You know, am I right. am I am I speaking right about procedural justice with that example? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, having that in, in the forefront of your mind, the street officer will impact the profession more so than any chief can ever hope to. And we need to understand that. Chauvin created protests in Tokyo wow. because of his actions. The power that the street officer has is almost inconceivable. Nothing any chief does will impact the way the street level cop does. And I try to explain to them, your actions will impact people and communities potentially for a lifetime, right? Tokyo was protesting because of Chauvin. That's power. Well, Tom, I want to break off that subject for a little bit because, you know, we've been talking about, I have friends coming to me and uh, I know you had an experience where uh, we're going to just go off gear a little bit and we're going to talk about implicit bias where a friend says, okay. hey, I've never heard of an officer getting, you know, popped for implicit bias out in the field. Why is that? You know, and, and my answer to that is that's a hard thing to show. In fact, yeah. the community and activists work with law enforcement to develop the check boxes for implicit bias. I want to make sure I didn't want to ignore the citizen, but you yeah. had a different experience you were telling me about without, you know, dropping names of these high power people. Can you, do you remember that story? So, Clint, can you give me just a little bit, because I have a few implicit bias sort of experiences. You were talking about you were in front of, a, let's say, a, 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 you were traveling, you were in front of a police commission. Yes. So here, here's what we have going on. And, and this is an issue that is cog cognitively the problem. The feeling of being right is, is a real thing. It's like the feeling of being full. You know when you're hungry. You know when you're sad. These are feelings that are somewhat tangible. And the feeling of being right is very tangible akin to hunger and satiety, uh, you know, being satisfied when you eat. So when somebody feels they're right, it's very hard to convince them otherwise. And, and they said to me when they said to the group, we don't have any sustained implicit bias complaints. Perhaps we need to lower the bar because I know this is happening, wow. right? They're making a causational claim. They know it's happening. Well, then if you know what's happening, please bring forth the evidence so we can look at the video and we could get that sustained complaint you're looking for. Do you feel like it's coming down to the point and it hasn't yet to where they say, oh, white offer stops black guy. Let's just make an implicit bias. Do you feel like that's where we're headed if you let somebody say something like that? So here, here's what I would say. I, do I think it's heading that direction when officers start to work in that way, when officers start to go about their day with that in mind, then I would say it's happening. Irrespective of what, what a police commission wants, when an officer says to another officer offline and these conversations are happening, oh, I'm not stopping that car. There's no way. I, we're two white guys in a car. There's no way that's a person of color. Like just the fact that those conversations are happening is evidence that we're at that point. That's that's just the fear of puts us there, which some citizens yeah. say, that's great. I want you to be scared. But right. what happens if you're afraid to stop that car and there's a human trafficking suspect in the trunk of the car? I mean, this is what we're talking about. I want yes. officers to still have confidence to do their jobs, but just be smart. I think that's what I'm saying. And I'm, there's no fear that needs to be, I don't want a commissioner or a judge to, 
cause cause me uh, being scared to do my job. That's not right either. You know, so it's a it's a double edged sword. So here's the deal: when it comes to these implicit bias complaints, I want to tell my community and, and these major agencies like ours, these check boxes were made by activists and right. often, this was worked on together. Mm -hmm. And these checkboxes aren't really adding up. Bottom line, implicit is an intangible thing. You know, barring an officer just calling some citizen out of their name or out of their race or something like that, that's a hard thing to do as long as they're doing jobs. You know, and I was going to bring the checklist in to show you guys, and we'll maybe do that in another episode. But I wanted to clear that up, you know. Uh, there are officers that do get disciplined uh, for uh, stuff that they do. There are officers sitting in jail for crimes, I can tell you that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the implicit bias thing, that's really a very intangible concept. When the officer has PC doing their job and there's body cam and uh, in-dash uh, in car, in car video. So mm -hmm. to your question, we don't want to scare our officers that are serving your community as deterrence of crime, not the solvers of crime deterrence of crime from doing right. their job but we get it and that's why we're having these types of conversations tom man we got it all out but i don't feel like we're done bro you know it's like we're like we're like these kindred spirits but is there anything that you would like to close professor uh to our public and our law enforcement officers who have been listening i've been checking linkedin they're on and sorry for the technical difficulty guys y'all was ready but we're, we're on i'm up Give us some words of encouragement as we all move together, because this is not coming no longer from a place of depression like it was the last few episodes. Like I'm, we're fighting for our careers, we're fighting for our society. I actually feel like we're coming out of this and it's time for us to, emotions are down and it's time to talk again. Give us some positive affirmations in Professor Ditro. Thank you, Clee. You're always so nice. And I think I'm going to go back to our LEIU talk that we did a couple years ago. And and I want to remind my my fellow brothers, sisters, officers is this. There is no escape clause in the oath that we took. Okay, we took an oath. And in that oath, never did it say, uh, I will do these things unless the police commission doesn't support me or unless I feel that the mayor is 100% got my back. We didn't say any of that. Yes. We said we were going to do these things by hell or high water. And I always, I, I go back to this phrase I've been saying, the nobility of this profession is found in the hardships of this profession. Amen. It's hard, right, Clan? It's hard. Amen. And that's why we do it because other people can't. When I hear somebody say, I don't know how you could be a cop these days, that all that does is make me stronger. Like, that's right. That's right. These shoulders and these legs can carry that burden. Because I will admit, I will admit Tom, it made me weak and I almost quit. But, yeah. you know, remembering guys like you, um, uh, seeing my brother out there uh, speaking those words of encouragement he's been doing out there on a national level, it just really gave me a spark. And I said, who, who the heck am I to be right. depressed? I've got people to mentor. I've got recruits to grow. And together, you and I and the others that, that we serve around, God bless you guys for what you do. Tom, we're going to have to have you on for on one of our health segments because he's one of the fittest guys that I know. And we're <laughs> going to talk about some healthy Tom stories. But thank you so much for being on this show, Tom. Honestly, we I think we got it all out in the calm very approachable level. We'll, I'll give you the feedback from our officers and from our community later, and we'll talk yeah. about some of that feedback, all right? God bless you, Tom. Love you, bro. This is Love Mentorship too, Moments. Each one, teach one. We are the village. The next episode, I promise you, we're going to have an, a young engineer that I've mentored for a while. He went from started from the bottom. Now he's here mentoring people as an engineer, Mr. Eric Washington. I can't wait. Each one, teach one. We are the village. Let's talk. Gonna make it happen, happen.